What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we are going to wrap up our series on the bad girls of the Bible. We've explored the story of Eve and our need to pursue wisdom. Then last week was the story of Rahab who helped the spies of Israel as they attacked the city fortress of Jericho. Rahab chose what we called consolation. She moved closer to God despite the chaos and the struggles that she faced. As the trumpets play and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, she was rescued by the spies and eventually becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible story and a reminder for all of us to draw closer to God no matter what challenges are ahead of us. Now we look at our final bad girl. This is the story of a woman who is not named. She is simply known as the sinful woman or sometimes the woman with the alabaster jar. Her story on its surface seems simple, but we are going to dive deep into it and hopefully discover something truly revolutionary for all of us. Uh, Eric is going to read for us today. This passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, and in the previous passage, Jesus says how people accuse John the Baptist of being bad because he won't sit and eat with people, but when Jesus does it, they call him a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, here we have an example of Jesus being friends with these people. As Jesus is traveling the countryside, preaching and teaching, he is invited to a religious leader's home. There's all kinds of subtext here, and we'll get to that later, but listen closely for the perspective of the woman who was a sinner. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Hear now the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Jesus, or he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to your word that we would love as you love and defend others as you would defend them. Bless us to both hear and understand your word this day. Amen. A woman by the name of Susan had a very unusual experience. When she was a teenager, she was hit by a truck and ever since had trouble reading. She was very bright but bored out of her mind in school because of this injury. So one day a friend suggested that she, she, she should go to college with her. She told her it was much better than high school and she could simply listen to the lectures from the professors and learn. So she decided to try it. She wandered onto campus into a building and she opened the first door she came to and her life was changed. She had stumbled into a sign language class. This was back when such classes were rare, but seeing people make pictures with their hands was so much easier for her than reading books. Susan was hooked and studied sign language. After graduating, she found herself in demand and working at a community college with students. Her first day was chaotic and the students were all signing to each other. Susan walks up to the professor and she notices that there is one student off by himself. He isn't signing to anyone. He's just holding himself like he's all alone. She decides to go up to him and ask him some questions. She first signs hello, my name is Susan, and he signs it right back to her, hello, my name is Susan. She's a little confused, but she shakes her head, no, no, I'm Susan. He signs back, no, no, I'm Susan. And she figures out he has no idea what he's doing. He was born deaf, he was 27 years old, and he had no idea how to talk to other people. He had no language. Being born deaf, this man didn't know there was such a thing as sound. He thought everyone around him figured all this stuff out just from visual learning. And so at some point he decided that he must just be stupid. He simply couldn't do it. Susan didn't give up so easily, though. She decided to try and teach him some basic sign language. She signed table and got table back. She tried book, which is a sign in sign language is the, you know, it looks like you're opening a book. And he thought he was being commanded to open a book. This went on for weeks until finally Susan had a brilliant idea. She would simply ignore this student. She would look somewhere else and not pay any attention to him. She said of this moment that if ever she had a stroke of genius in her life, this was it. She started to teach an imaginary student. She would sign to an empty chair and then after, afterward go and sit in that chair. She would react the way that she wanted her student to react. She would hold a, a picture of a cat, sign cat, and pretend to pet the cat. 
then she would pass it to the imaginary student who was her and act as though she got it. She understood and she would sign back Cat. On and on this went. At least, at, at, at least he had stopped copying her. That much was good. And he was watching her, but sometimes he seemed very bored. She didn't give up, though. She kept trying, and one day in the middle of an exercise, she sees him shift. His eyes grow wide, and he slams his hand on the table as if to say, Oh, everything has a name. And he's looking at her and demanding, uh, uh, pointing at the table, and she signs table. He points to the clock, and she signs clocked him. He points to the door, and she signs door. He points to her, and he signs Susan, and he starts crying. He collapses in tears as the full weight of what he has learned hits him. This is language. Everything has a name. He can talk, he can remember, and he can tell stories. He is no longer imprisoned because he has a way to communicate with others around him. It's a beautiful moment. It reminds all of us of how powerful language is. I think of Helen Keller and her teacher spelling water into her hand and how that moment would go on to change the world as she became the first deaf and blind graduate of higher learning. Keller wrote over a dozen books and became world famous for her ability to describe things most of us don't even notice. But there's something interesting about language. We say sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me. And even if they do hurt us, at least a little, Words aren't everything, are they? Plenty of research points to how important other factors are in communication. The data says about 35% of what we say through verbal communication is what people actually hear from us. The other 65%, though, is all about nonverbal communication. It's all the things we are saying without any words at all. Think about it. If something happens and I say, great, I could mean two totally different things. Great with a fist pump means, yeah, it's, it's really good. But great with two hands thrown up in the air, in exasperation means it's probably not great at all. It's probably really, really bad. That's nonverbal communication, and it literally can contradict the words that we say. I say one thing, and I mean something completely different. This is something I'm still working on in my own life. When I hit my teenage years, I discovered sarcasm, and I hit it hard. Uh, my parents loved it. That was sarcasm. Uh, I used it against everyone, including my family. Uh, sarcasm was a way to attack people without ever actually saying anything wrong. I used it to hide the real meaning of my words so I wouldn't get in trouble, or to confuse people so I looked smart. None of that is terribly life-giving, but imagine if I had used nonverbal communication to do good. I would probably be my, my parents' favorite child, but instead my older brother gets to be that. I'm still figuring out how to implement the things I've learned about marriage and how churches work. I do premarital counseling with couples getting married here at the church, and every time I start with the same basic idea. Communication is key. If you want a successful marriage, focus on communication. The ideas are, are true at work too. 
How do you have good, solid communication? It's simple. Be assertive and use active listening. The assertive part always gets me. If I want a good relationship with someone, I have to tell them what it is that I want. They can't read my mind, but if I'm giving other signals non-verbally or I'm being sarcastic, it's confusing. Those things aren't lining up. People won't know what it is that I really want, and I will find myself disappointed. Active listening is staying engaged when someone is talking. It's nodding and affirming what they're saying. Even repeating back to them what they've said to make sure you've understood them properly. Too often we try and give unsolicited advice when really people want to be heard. That's an incredible gift we can give to our families or our coworkers. The easy way to put this is that good communication is literally the opposite of everything I did when I was a teenager. Don't be bitter. Don't confuse people or disguise your meaning. Just say what you want and let your non-verbal communication line up with it and you'll be on your way to a happier, healthier relationship. Nonverbal communication is such a potent way to express ourselves. We get this whole story in Luke chapter 7 about a woman who never says a single word. All the nonverbal communication she does says everything that needs to be said. Even then, because this story comes to us from ancient Israel, it may be easy for us to miss a bunch of nonverbal cues here, So explaining the customs in the situation here will hopefully help us catch the real meaning here from this bad girl of the Bible. So let's walk through it. The story starts with Jesus eating a meal with a religious leader. It's a big banquet and Jesus would have been an invited guest. As he travels the countryside, it was appropriate to invite him to a special meal. We don't do this today, but meals were also considered a time where a rabbi could give teachings, so it's expected that Jesus would give an important lesson here. This woman, who is only described as a sinner, is thought to be a prostitute because of her alabaster joy of women, but we don't know that for sure. We're not, we don't really know what's going on here, but either way, she is an uninvited guest, but that's normal. Important people would host a meal, and anyone could come as long as there was room. The interesting thing here, though, is that this woman begins to weep at Jesus' feet and then uses her hair to dry it. The force of this is lost on us today. In that time, a woman's hair was always to be covered. In fact, if a man and a woman were going to get a divorce, the man would have to pay a fee to the woman for the divorce, except in three situations. One was if she speaks with another man, Two is if she spins in the street. I know, strange, but three, her hair is uncovered. The idea here is that these actions were considered so provocative and so careless regarding the marriage vows, it was like inviting divorce. When a man and a woman were engaged to be married, the man would have never seen his bride-to-be's hair. Only on the wedding night would she take the head covering off. So this woman at Jesus' feet, when she has her hair uncovered and is using it to wipe Jesus' feet, it would have been absolutely scandalous. What for us is a small act, for them would have been her essentially pledging her life to Jesus. 
That's why this religious leader who invited Jesus in the first place says, huh, if he was a real prophet, he'd know how scandalous all of this is. That's when Jesus shifts the attention from the woman's sin, from what a disgrace all of this is, to a much bigger picture, one of grace and love. The story Jesus tells of two people in debt is simple enough. Which one whose debt is forgiven would love more? The one forgiven a little or the one forgiven much? And the obvious answer is the one who is forgiven much. Whether we are talking about money or the debt we owe because of our sin. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He points out all the things that this religious leader, this Pharisee Simon, has not done. It was standard custom that when someone entered your home, the host or a servant of the host would wash your feet. It's dusty and dirty on the street, so it was a gesture of goodwill. Jesus points out that his host has not done this. He has also not given any oil, which would have been another kindness, and he has not kissed Jesus, which would have been a respectful greeting in that time. The subtext here is that this religious leader doesn't actually have any respect at all for Jesus. He has invited him over for dinner, pure and simply, so he can ignore him and insult him by treating him poorly. This quote-unquote sinful woman has seen their insults and instead of joining in, getting on the good side of powerful people, has sided with Jesus. She anoints him and signals her total and complete commitment to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, there's a similar story about Mary. She was one of the many people who traveled with Jesus, learning everything they could from him and discovering a different way to live in this world. They are showing their devotion to Jesus just as this nameless woman is doing here. And I wonder for us, how many of us here have that same kind of commitment to Jesus? We're usually quick in the church to use words to show our devotion. We say we love Jesus, we quote the Bible, or we stand and we sing, and we think that shows our love. But here we find this wordless example. You've probably heard this quote uh, attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I think that expresses something similar to how God would have us love him. Love Jesus at all times. And if necessary, use words. Some of you, though, might be thinking, love God? How do I love God? You can't just choose to love someone, can you? Well, maybe you can. You know what the number one predictor of love between two people is? It's proximity. The more you are around someone, the more you grow to love them. There was this huge study last year about successful relationships and they found what matters most for success is perceived commitment to a partner. When you spend time with God, in prayer, in study, in reflecting on your finances so you can make a commitment to God and to the church, these things draw you closer to God. 
the more time you spend with God, the more your commitment to God will grow. You don't need lots of words to prove your love for God. Just let your life reveal your priorities. And if your life isn't in the place you'd like it to be, start working on it. What's that one thing you can do today to move toward God? Well, to close out our series on the bad girls of the Bible, we're going to hear from one more of our bad girls here at Grace. Uh, Kathy Myers has volunteered to join me today to share a story of hers. Kathy, come on up. Uh, as we close, can you welcome Kathy here with us today? Go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, Kathy. And here's a microphone for you. All right, so Kathy, welcome. And I want to just uh, thank you for sharing today. And can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself today. Sure, my name's Kathy Myers, and um, I live in North Halden. And I normally start with myself when I describe myself as a nurse. As a nurse. And um, in reality, I'm a mom. <laughs> and I have two kids, Chrissy and Stephen. Um, I'm a grandma. I have three boys, Evan, Owen, and Andrew. And I was married to my husband for 44 years. And I'm definitely a nurse. My friends say Kathy cares uh, <laughs> because I care about everything and everyone. And I think I'm a pretty good friend. I've been a nurse for 46 years. Um, I worked at Columbia Presbyterian in pediatrics for about eight years and went on to a medical device company that needed to have FDA approval and was able to work with the FDA. I've had like a really varied career. And um, I gave Karen rounds in Stanford University, really cool. And I also worked in geriatrics at the Holland Home and um, worked in a psychiatrist's office, which I think was my most uh, rewarding uh, thing because I, I reached a lot of families I reached a lot of people that needed help, and I used my faith to help them. And in the end of my career, I worked with Regenix stem cells, and that was very, very cool. And so in regards to the subject that we're talking about today, it brought back some thoughts of a patient's family that I worked with, this child he really wasn't a child. He was um, in his adolescence, and he had a genetic disorder, which caused him to be extremely low-functioning. His um, violent outbursts, mood swings, obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, self-mutilation was very, very hard on not only him, but his family. And although he was low-functioning, he was extremely loving hmm. with everybody. But his family was overwhelmed with the amount of responsibility, the fears of how they were going to care for this child as he grew into manhood and what was going to happen to him. So... Um, for 10 years, I saw this kid, and uh, he grew into a man, a young man. And his mother and his father cried and worried and shared all their concerns with me. And all I more or less did was to listen and to hug them and to share 
their fears and be able to help them manage the maze of trying to figure out how to get this human being to be able to function in the world. Hmm. His, um, my doctor decided to close his practice, which was a jerk thing to do. He left these people pretty high and dry. And when it happened, the boy's mother was completely devastated, as was I. And um, at the last visit, we really didn't talk that much. We just held each other and we cried. And she was quite devastated, as so was I. And we had a mutual admiration for each other. Um, and I felt at that time that I had been a servant of God with this family, helping them to manage this long-term situation. So I feel being a nurse is the ultimate way to be putting Jesus's word and into practice. When he said, Jesus, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was naked. You gave me clothes. But being a nurse, you often care for those that are not seen or not heard. So caring for these people is the ultimate way I feel I serve God. All right. Well, thank you for that, Kathy. The, um, that, that's an incredible story of journeying with people for years and years to be uh, a blessing to them and, and using not only your skills in the work that you do, but also your faith to encourage them, to build them up, and sometimes without even a word, you are being a blessing to them. So that's an incredible example for us today. Uh, can we thank Kathy for her time here with us and sharing her testimony? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I, I just want to uh, say that as, as you've seen throughout this series on the bad girls of the Bible, just because you do something wrong, it doesn't mean that you are too far gone from God. A, a kind word, a listening ear, patience, and some love can help get us back on track. The Lord loves us and calls in, us into a deeper relationship with him and with those around us. And this nameless woman devoted herself to Jesus, giving us an example of how we can do that for others, right? Kathy shared with us uh, a wordless example of what our lives can look like to help and bless others. So I wanna invite you to do that as well. Will you find ways to communicate and build that loving relationship with God? If you do, you'll find yourself loving Jesus even without a word, amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.